And, but then what that takes you to, you've set up all these things are different contradictions, the, these three boxes for each one. Mm-hmm. And now you can use Triz potentially mm-hmm. to say, to look at how have other brilliant inventors or, you know, people have really solved impossible problems. How did they overcome that type of dilemma? Not that specific mm-hmm. one, but for instance, I wanted a distance to be long mm-hmm. for one reason, and I wanted it to be really short for another reason. Yes. And I have both, but without just lazily picking some number halfway in between. Insane Transformation Podcast. And who would have thought a handful of texters and a pink unicorn sketchbook is all that it would take to disrupt your industry? Welcome back to the Insane Transformation Podcast. So you are here with Mike Rossi and David Trones. So, hey, David, how are you? Doing well. Yeah, I'm uh, uh, boiling over here. It's super hot in Phoenix. Um, I ought to learn what the conversion is to Celsius for you guys. But anyway, it's about 100 degrees here. What is that, 40 or something? 100 degrees. Yeah, I think it's probably around 38 or something like that. Um, yeah, close. It's pretty hot. Wow, okay. And you're wearing a sweatshirt. Yeah, that's right. I think for us, it's uh, – I'm going to give you it in Celsius. I think it's about 13, 14, which, uh, geez, good luck on that. It's, yeah. it's cold. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so yeah, good, doing good. Yeah. And, nice. uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I look forward to this because I think it might be interesting to sort of review something I've been thinking of sure. um, as sort of an enhancement to the way we look at tough problems. Mm. So, so, yeah. So this is you sort of thinking about, we're looking at how to take, how to sort of decompose that problem, but really start to pull in the human side of the problem. Like what's actually causing that problem from a, from a motivational perspective or a human side. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Okay. Yeah. There are kind of steps to it. And it's something even when I I, I still occasionally stick my neck in, I head into the area of STEM in high schools, you know, I don't know if you have that in Australia. Yeah, yeah, we sure do. Yep. Um, because every every step you take to sort of look beyond what you know makes it um, you realize, well, I can understand these concepts, even though I haven't studied it for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, it'll take me into new areas I thought I would never learn about. And mm. that's fun. Boy, if a high school kid could have that kind of thought. Uh, and perfect. So, mm. yeah, I, I think, um, and obviously, you know, my, my approach is, you know, it's that, it's that sort of physics-based cause tree, but it gets into with the causal landscape diagram, very much the containerization of space. Mm-hmm. And we've got physical objects, we've got conceptual objects, and then the interactions between those objects. And I think, um, Again, one of the areas that I always run into is when you try to map on a conceptual object, and a conceptual object could actually be a kilometer, it could actually be you know unit of distance, but it could be a like a behavioral drive or an emotion or something. And when I get to those, I will usually try to as much as I can deal with the physical objects and put some mistake proofing component in there so that we don't have to run into the emotional or the motivational side of things, because it, it, it's, it really is um, hard to deal with. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, and so the, I guess one of the reasons I'm interested in taking it that direction too, is to make use of some of my background and, 
training that that I used to think was like I regretted ever getting or focusing on on mm. psychology and working with kids in a psychiatric hospital. I did learn and, and practiced uh, something called cognitive behavior therapy, where really the, mm. the cognitions that people have are what drive behavior. And, um, and so, yeah, it's bringing something uh, different to the table, but I think it, it would also be very interesting for, for us to go through um, sort of like your version or, you know, how would you address this or address mm. it differently? Uh, you know, cause obviously what I do here is just my own little, um, the way I piece things together in a way that makes sense for me. I don't mm. know that it really makes sense for everyone else. Probably mm. not. Uh, you need to modify it. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's motivating for me. And uh, I'm just really interested in, in this uh, this other dimension to it. Mm. Well, let's let's have a look. So, okay. this one that you're playing with here, this is uh, rear end collisions, and uh, obviously you've got five Y's and fishbone diagrams. So I hope we're going to first knock those on the head and uh, get those out of the park pretty quickly. But let's. <laughs> Let's have a look. I still I still see this stuff coming up all the time and it just drives me crazy. People yeah. like honestly trying to have a conversation with me about using five wires or I'll throw this in a fishbone. And the, the moment I like like well, it's gonna it's gotta be the same for you, but the moment I hear someone talk to me about they're gonna find some root causes, they're gonna use five wires, immediately like I'm not dealing with a sane person anymore. Like we can't continue to have a conversation because they all, they, at, at that moment, I realized they don't know what they're talking about yeah. and they probably are never going to be able to solve that problem. Is that the same for you? Yeah, I've, I've, uh, sometimes I, I, in the past, I've aired too much on, on slamming anyone who does yep. these things, but uh, the way I've framed it for myself now to make it, more palatable for myself is um, these things like five whys and so on are okay when you have a problem that isn't that important that you have a lot of experience with and it's it's easy to uh, run through it and actually if you get it wrong it's not a big deal hmm. so so you know like I always use the example of if you get up in the morning and you're going to go to work, you go out and uh, turn the key on your car and nothing happens. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't break out a physics-based causal analysis through your mind. You go, yep. well, let's see what, from my experience, uh, from what I know needs to happen, you start stepping through uh, some quick things to determine, you know, is it really my battery? Is it a mm -hmm. connection? Is it that my alternator was not uh, charging the battery as I as I drove before? It, you know, so kind of doing a five Y, but uh, yeah. So these things are okay in different situations, but it's scary to me when I've worked with. Should be careful, people in uh, mm. industries or with products that can have a huge impact on public health and safety, mm -hmm. uh, use these things um, to generate solutions. Yep. Um, and it's like, oh my God, isn't what we're talking about more important and worth a more rigorous technique? Um, you, you know, and I, I, sometimes I've went ahead and said it. Sometimes I've asked to leave, but... <laughs> You know, I, I just, I, I can't tolerate it. Yeah. I mean, usually I'll, I'll just ask people a couple questions and it's, it, as soon as you just interrogate it, just on, even on the surface level, it falls apart so fast. Yeah. And so normally I, I'll, I'll, I'll just pick at it just a tiny bit and I'll ask, you know, but yeah, but what's causing that or, and, and, and why is that happening? And yeah. then it immediately falls apart. Um, and then I kind of will leave it at that, but it just drives me crazy. But anyway, yeah. let, let's. Let's have a look and um, see what yeah. we got. So I, you know, we don't need to spend time going 
through these a lot, but for five whys, you know, why are there so many? And someone in the group who maybe is influential will say, well, it's because people have too, or these idiot drivers are not paying attention, or there's too many distractions, that's the problem. Um, why or how could that be? Because they're reading, texting, calling people on the phone. Mm -hmm. And why are they doing that? Well, their phone does ring. And so uh, what are they going to do? They're very, uh, they don't want to just let the phone ring. I want to mm -hmm. see what's going on. And so uh, then they might end up calling someone, talking to them or texting them back. Mm -hmm. And that's the, let's say the, as far as they went with it. Yep. That, you know, there's some interesting things there that are worth looking at, but obviously they've just gone down one narrow yep. path, no breath, uh, mm. you know, to the whole thing. Uh, then I looked at, uh, whoops, a fishbone diagram that I did real in a real simple way. Um, you know, people use different schemes for this, but if I thought about a man, materials, machine, and method, uh, here, we're basically, or a group, a team is brainstorming these things. Mm -hmm. And it's, in my mind, really a way to, to categorize or organize random brainstorming. And you know, my, my joke about that, uh, BS stands for bullshit. Mm -hmm. BS could also stand for brainstorming. Yep. So by the transitive property, brainstorming is bullshit. <laughs> yep yep so a team thinking that it, a small team in a predefined period of time usually a couple of one-hour meetings with a lot of guesses or some overly influential people is going to yield really great solutions you know you're kind of fooling yourself mm -hmm. uh, is my thought um from there i thought well, oops, let me think about what I hear about so often. And it's, it's framed as this is like the ultimate. It's, it's uh, the most advanced technique. We call it RCA or mm. a billion people have techniques that they call RCA, mm -hmm. and, um, which hopefully people know stands for root cause analysis. But um, here again, you know, it's basically um, brainstorming on mm -hmm. each level. Mm -hmm. um, but you can see that the brainstorming, the first level down is kind of taking you to different levels of this, mm -hmm. not consistently like what are the, if you had to have an equation almost for what causes a rear end collision, mm -hmm. these are not all really at the same level like yes easily be organized differently so like tailgating so you've got rear end collisions is caused by tailgating distractions bad road conditions and speeding and from an equational perspective you think you just add basically add these across so tailgating plus some level of distraction plus some bad road conditions plus the current speed that you're going equals the, the rear end collision something like that yeah. and then you can drill into each one of those so distractions would be what are the causes of distractions or what are the types of distractions? It's almost like a categorization, isn't it? Texting, appearance of self in a rear view mirror, phone calls, those kinds of things. Bad road conditions, snow and ice or rain, tailgating, lack of patience, lead cars going too slow, rear driver is stressed. Mm, yeah. And so, for instance, a cause for tailgating that leads to rear end collision could be the distractions. Mm -hmm. So it could be that distractions part should go underneath tailgating somewhere or, you know, maybe not, but moving these things around somehow mm -hmm. to say, well, as far as the ability to stop, is it just the road conditions? Uh, mm -hmm. Is there anything else if, if we detect that we ought to come to a stop? Mm -hmm. And um, what about anything to do with the car itself? Mm -hmm. um, and is it... Uh, is it speeding? You know, it's kind of like, what do you mean there? Is it, uh, I'm going faster than you're supposed to? I'm yep. breaking the law? 
so this, yeah, is like, a, I think another uh, brainstorming thing, but you're trying to include some layers and relationships uh, among these different factors. Yep. And this one I see happen a lot where, uh, what do they call this? They call these, um, what I've come across, they call them driver trees. And then they'll say, that's what there'll be 100 rearing collisions. And when they interviewed the people, 25 were a result of tailgating, 30 were a result of distractions, you know, X were a result of bad road conditions and X were a result of speeding. And they'll, they'll try to bucketize those. And then they'll say, okay, now we're going to go after tailgating. Yeah. And then what are the causes of tail? And then, but the problem is these, again, you don't actually have causality across these. You've got some correlation, you've got um, some categorization, but tail tailgating in and of itself isn't necessarily the cause of a rear in collision. So they'll, they'll dump a bunch of money into it. They'll spin up an initiative to fix tailgating. And again, even if they fix tailgating, they're only fixing part of the causal structure that's creating rear and collisions. And if you only look at that, well, then you, you wonder why the problem never goes away because yeah. you only looked at one branch. And it's like you said, are you tailgating because you're distracted, right? So, yeah. so the distraction and the fact that you received a text message is actually causal in one instance to you looking at your phone and not realizing you've sped up to the person in front of you or whatever the case is. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, I guess it's sort of, you know, what, what's so important to take you beyond this in my mind is the having enough humility and, and, uh, uh, ability, I guess, to see that what I've done is all messed up or there's a lot of problems <laughs> and I haven't even defined what the top level thing is, you know, yes. what is the rear end collision? Mm -hmm. Um, and am I willing, and is the rest of the people in the room willing to say, you know, kind of like erase the, the board and start over? Probably, usually not. There's a mm. degree of frustration. Uh, and that, in my mind, does get to another thing that's really important. I'm, in my mind, curious what you think. Um, this should not be, how can I say, I guess to be more provocative. Continuous improvement at small teams using fish bones and so on is crap. And relying upon small teams to, to execute different methods in predetermined amount of time sort of has no respect for the importance of the problem. It, you can't assume that small teams are going to do this. Yep. You would agree? Yeah, 100%. I think... Um... Most of the time, I don't. I really don't believe that they actually want to solve the problem. I believe that the organization is trying to put up a response to some problem with their product or service, and just demonstrate that they've taken an action against it. Yeah. But in most cases, they don't. They don't. They will never allow for the time to actually solve these problems. Like if you really wanted to solve the problem, and we said it's going to take you twelve weeks of work, they'd be like, "What? No, I need you to do this by next week, and I want to see." what your course of action are going to be. I want to see three quick wins and there, there's always got to be quick wins in there. There's got to be the stuff I could do right now. And then I've seen this so many times with organizations where the, this like, uh, I mean, I'm thinking of one right now, literally for years, the same problem has come up again and again and again. And I, I, I know folks who have worked at this company going back like five or six years to when I did an initiative there and they're still dealing with the same problem management structures have changed, initiatives have changed, the problems have never gone away because they refuse to spend the, the money and the time to actually address the problem. They just want to appear like they're doing it uh, or working on it. But yeah, yeah 100%. I, and I think the, the answer is they'll throw a team in a room and yeah. say, come up with some ideas to this problem. Yeah. Um, but the problem is the team, they've only ever worked in, say, that one industry. They, they have no real approach to thinking and they have no real approach to being able to get these problems it's like you, you looking at it from the outset it's like you can look in and say even if we left you in this room for a million years you actually would never be able to solve this problem as much as you'd like to believe it yeah um, so yeah i 100 agree yeah and you know the the example or the issue you brought up with 
is, is another indicator that one needs to go to this much more in-depth approach whenever someone someone hopefully would speak up and say you know what we didn't we think we caught we solved this last quarter or last year or realization that you know this is really the fourth time we're we're trying to resolve this and if that isn't a clear enough signal to say okay let's let's accept that uh, a few hours doing uh, brainstorming with a small group of people does not cut. Um, so yeah, that's that's another uh, uh, situation where I think it makes sense to go further. Is it really important? Have we tried to solve it before and have been unsuccessful? Yep. Yeah. So um, let's see. Now I got it shrink back down whoops for a second here and it's on my next page now this this page is really kind of uh i don't, I don't want to confuse people with too much information here um because this is you know just kind of like my thoughts and notes mm -hmm. um one of the the approaches depending on who might get involved, it, even just the individual uh, and what company you work at or whatever, could start to look at it from purely a uh, physics point of view mm. and, and uh, uh, mechanical, electrical, uh, material properties, things like that. So, and there we can go, uh, you know, to some uh, uh, equations. And we can see that. Uh, if after we redefine the problem a fair mm -hmm. amount, like in this case, oh, and you probably notice I flipped it upside down. Mm. And there's nothing magical about that or that it's crucial. I like it still because it does maybe get attention that this is not your usual, um, you know, uh, tree diagram from RCA. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't doesn't really fly with some people, but it's just my personal choice. So everything, you know, the, the, the problem we're working on is at the bottom. Mm -hmm. So it, it could take some time even just to say, well, you know, a collision means, I guess, um, my, the distance it takes me to stop is greater than the distance between us. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so is the problem here, and someone may decide, uh, it's really that my ability to stop within a certain number of feet, let's say, is, uh, is low, or the distance it takes to stop is uh, too long. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so we can look at, you know, some stuff uh, out of physics to look at what does it take to bring a moving object to a, a halt or bring it, you know, down to a speed of zero. Yes. And so it's things like velocity. Um, there's uh, coefficient of friction, and there are some standard thoughts about that 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 have to do with. Uh, well, I'll go into that later. But we might think things like the tread width is is narrow. People don't, uh, or, or I'm sorry, the also the tread condition. Is yes. um, there's not very good friction between the tire and the road. They're going too fast. And those are the reasons why it takes that long to stop. It, yes. Yeah. And it's convenient that, okay, we can plug these numbers in to mm -hmm. a formula and, and see that. Um, but it also, in, in this case, it was interesting. If you look at it, sort of theoretically saying that, well, the tread width of a tire um, or, or the width of a tire is key. So if I had really skinny tires, mm -hmm. would that uh, not allow me to stop as fat, fast as really wide tires? Yeah. So it's the, it's the surface area of the tire, which could be the width of the tire, but it could also be the type of, you know, bitumen or, um, uh, surface that you're on, but also the the um, 
the air pressure in the tire that actually increases or decreases the surface. So it's really that surface area and the tread is one of those components. Yeah. Yeah. And tire from, pressure. Yeah. from a, a standpoint of just say, thinking, well, it's the same amount of force from gravity. Your car is, is pushing down. Yes. If you have it over a wide tire, it's that the, the amount of force going to all, uh, all parts of that part that's hitting the road. Yes. Equivalent to all of it going to one very narrow. Yes. Tire. So theoretically that shouldn't matter. Mm. Um, but the points you brought up. So th this whole discussion mm. like you and I have just had is a real key thing to have to keep challenging you know, what did I say here is, you know, are the key factors that, that actually dictate how long it takes to stop. Mm -hmm. And if I pick something that's far removed from it, let me keep thinking about, you know, what sort of our, is the next level and keep it at that level mm -hmm. uh, to begin with. So what, what we talked about regarding um, the different aspects of the tires for instance, mm. and the, the coefficient of friction, mm. we have some of those things here. Um, but what we'd have to start asking ourselves too is, well, okay, what, what, uh, what really makes up a coefficient or a, yes. a, a friction coupling? Yes. Yep. Well, what are the variables? Yep. Yeah. And tread condition is smooth, like they're worn out. Um, maybe that's something that impacts the uh, uh, friction coupling. Mm -hmm. um, and then the road condition is something mm -hmm. separate, uh, but it's still, you know, I, it's probably still, I guess, a, a, a factor for friction coupling being low. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because of the if it's wet or if it's loose, gravel, that kind of thing. Um, so this sort of gets to the point again that, you know, someone probably would, would typically take the time to start doing this mm -hmm. and then realize maybe after having a cup of coffee with this guy and go talk with this guy and so on, you gather a bunch of information to say, oh man, I'm missing a lot. I got to rethink kind of what really is the problem here how would i arrange these things um and and be willing i guess to say not to throw it away but to keep that on one page and start new on the next page mm -hmm. uh, to me it, it sounds kind of maybe kind of wishy-washy or something but that idea of humility is mm -hmm. uh, a really, really important thing, I think. Mm. And another factor that goes into humility is whether or not you're completely reliant upon your own expertise and you almost consider your experience and expertise to be your worth as a person. Mm. Um, that, you know, there's more to you than just that. Mm. And that's why sometimes people without the experience uh, in a particular area can come in and, um, uh, you know, really identify some new things. So yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's a that that's actually a good side point because um, what what I find is that it's the people that have the most experience that actually generate the least amount of. Uh, if you're looking for the objects, the conceptual objects themselves, they actually generate the least amount <clears throat> because they they their head is just stuck in that vat. And yeah. they can't lift their head up out of it to think outside the box. Whereas you get a new person say, and I'm thinking about some pretty technical stuff. Um, you could look at um, like weapon systems. You could look at, you know, some defense things. Um, it's when someone comes in that's never been in that environment that starts asking, how does that work? Where does that come from? What's affecting this? And all of a sudden you end up with a whole bunch of stuff that the, the group that's sort of biased isn't able to generate. I've been here for 20 years. Yeah, I know. And that's why you only came up with these five things because you didn't ask these questions. You didn't think about these things, but that happens all the time. And, you know, this is a problem I think for consultants because 
usually the number one question is, what's your industry experience? Yeah. And they, they want you to be the red peg in the box of red pegs yeah. so that you can think like, talk like, act like everybody else. When in actual fact, then you end up and the project is hamstrung by the fact that no one's asking different questions. No one's able to think outside the box. You yeah. need the blue peg or the yellow peg to come in and someone who's got you know, experience in commercial fishing to look at this problem and start asking some very different questions. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, actually, the, the way that I've tried to, you know, because you have to ensure that you eventually get by and after arguments and differences of opinion, but the, the company's experts need to also in the end say, yep, okay, that is right. Um, is as you go through it and they might bring up, well, you know, that doesn't work or we've never done that or here, and here's why you have to do that. Usually they're leaving out um, the thought process or the experience that, that drove them to that kind of conclusion quite often. Mm -hmm. So just asking things like, help me understand why that is, mm. um, you know, I know you may feel it might be frustrating. Treat me like I'm a, a fifth grader. Mm. And uh, that's the level I need you to, uh, you know, explain it to me. In. Mm. And, you know, without saying it, until they can do that, um, as many, there's lots of trite sayings about it, until you can explain it to your grandmother, you really don't understand it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, and our friend Larry Ball, mm. uh, some of you might know, he, he, was, uh, he is, was uh, always good at that as far as bringing in the experts and having them have a very critical role in this. And quite often it was sort of like teaching or informing, uh, bringing people up to speed mm. so that really more people could participate in. Mm -hmm. uh, so they didn't feel like, you know, you're just discounting what, you know, all this experience you guys think you're going to solve. Uh, mm. It can be almost offensive to them, I think. And it's one of the reasons why uh, I've tried to, when I've had problems I'm working on that are real familiar to me that, that I'm trying to solve, I realize after I've done some of this that i'm too darn close i can't think objectively about it i need someone else mm. uh, so i consider myself that i know it inside now but i'm making too many assumptions i need someone who can look at it you know with clear eyes and ask yeah. these questions yep so so um the next thing i guess that that i, I might slide here that sort of you can see some of the things I've started to look at is I went online and found lots of sources for like a nice easy calculator that says what mm -hmm. the uh, stopping distance will be and it put in some common assumptions for the perception and reaction time mm -hmm. for the grade of the slope which I had never thought of mm -hmm. um, and the condition of the road there's some the, the coefficient of friction, I think for a, a dry road, I've heard people say it's, you know, maybe about a 0.7 for a red, a really wet, loose road, it might be down around a 0.3. Those are just rules of thumb. Mm -hmm. but, uh, so then you can start to be talking about what, where really is the, the influential factor here? Or mm. where do I really have, or what can I have influence on? Mm. Um, so that can be helpful but at the same time then I found other sources that say don't believe anyone who's talking about perception and reaction time and saying this is how it is it's way too too complicated and so on so you know it should be expected that not everyone uh, agrees totally on these things but you want to look for people who are done the the research that are, um, you know, done the kind of thinking that we don't have the time to go and do. Mm, mm, mm. Take it as a starting point. 
Um, you can see here too, there's one that says, research of vehicle rear end collision model considering mul multiple factors. Yeah, that seems something, you know, like it might be worth going to look at. Yep. Tons of people have done this uh, uh, kind of research already, which uh, uh, should take away this worry that, um, you know, I, I'm not an expert in that or who knows, it's too complicated. Well, mm -hmm. you know, very good chance that plenty of people have made that their life study. And, mm -hmm. uh, and there's lots of knowledge to gain by just a quick look. Uh, yep. Uh, let's see. The uh, there's anything else on that page? Uh, let me go to the the next one where I looked a little deeper, but still, you know, it was not. I don't consider this like everything is mailed. Mm -hmm. uh, is that too small? Should I make it bigger still? Uh, yeah, just make it a little bit bigger. Yeah. Okay, so there I tried to, uh, originally, I guess I had my own uh, formula there, mm -hmm. stopping distance is long, uh, because its capability is only this much, and the stopping um, distance capability is long. Mm -hmm. The perception, the distance you travel while you're trying to interpret the signals you get in your brain, mm -hmm. uh, that time is long, and so therefore the distance is long. And uh, the same thing for the reaction. Once I really know what's going on, how long does it take me to react appropriately? Mm -hmm. That distance is too long. And those are driven by, certainly by speed is fast, let's say. And really is it, it's not necessarily fast, it's uh, speed, in relationship to the speed of the front car mm, uh, mm. that is more germane or uh, you know more important perhaps um and then here's the old friend uh um uh, coefficient yeah um and then you can see i started to look some more at um, my little equations there reaction distance equals reaction time uh, times the speed. Mm -hmm. So with each of these, I realized, boy, I don't know enough about perception and reaction. So mm -hmm. I need to go into the, the huge amount of research there is done by human factors, people, and their yep. research. Um, and see what we can understand as far as what really is most um, influential to the outcome or most mm -hmm. uh, has the biggest ability to cause the problem, which is. Yes. Yes. So we start to take a look at rules of thumb that people have, you know, different experts have. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people will reject those and say those are, you know, too rough. Um, sometimes, you know, in this case, they'll put in, it's quite a bit of difference if it's a keen alert driver versus one who's tired or mm -hmm. an elderly person. So the, these are the reaction times, right? So it's saying if you're a keen alert driver, you on average have about a one second reaction time. Yeah. If you're an average driver, 1.5 seconds. If you're someone who's tired or an elderly, elderly person, it's two seconds. And then the worst case scenario is it's about two and a half seconds if you're potentially intoxicated or just, I don't know, really slow to react. So it's somewhere between one to two and a half seconds just to re just to react and understand the person's put their brake lights on or that, that sort of thing, yeah? Okay. And I, of course, I, uh, for the people to, who developed this, I really resent the idea of emphasizing, emphasizing elderly because I'm getting close mm. to that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah isn't, that, isn't that funny how that works? And you're like, I don't need, I don't need two and a half seconds to stop. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm not elderly. I'll, I'll beat you every time. That's right. Yeah. So it's, and, and then uh, interesting that quite often at this stage of discussing this precise problem is people will say, well, hey, Dave, this has been solved. 
why are we, mm -hmm. uh, why, why are you doing this? Not even going all the way to autonomous vehicles. Um, what about, you know, some cars have those sort of proximity sensors and can mm -hmm. detect if there's, the range is closing and so on. So it's another maybe set of lights or a, mm. a ding or something, a sound. Um, so that maybe speeds up the perception, mm -hmm. but still they have to think in their mind, what does that mean? Mm. And, and then there's the reaction time. So one would have to look at, well, that information maybe helps with perception, understanding what they need to do, but it may not have much of an impact on the reaction component. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, you know, a, another thing worth looking into. And for me, and again, as I've talked to teachers and students about it, it, at this point, it would then be a really interesting thing to go down to your car dealer or get online and say, hey, you have a car that gives that information. Tell me how that works. Or, hey, can a person who doesn't like those alarms, can they just turn off that feature so they can tailgate without anything bothering them? Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing there is that capability. Mm -hmm. um, so the... Um, oops. Um, another guy, I guess I'll, I'll come back to, but someone who I, I really start, started to appreciate a lot, this guy, Mark Green, mm -hmm. uh, he's about retired, I don't know, but he's put together a lot of really valuable information about what, what influences reaction time, for instance, mm -hmm. if I make that a little bigger, um, reaction, whoops. Uh, where did this go? I just pressed something too hard. Anyway, um, sensation. So this is Dr. Mark Green. Right. Yeah. Right. He has uh, a lot of information and I can give, uh, you know, the links for all those things. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can see he's especially useful for me because he tries to boil everything down. Mm -hmm. Interesting too, that a lot of this, the need for it and the desire for it comes from lawyers and judges who, uh, you know, the, the idea and, and you're fortunate in Australia is not quite as litigious as it is. Yeah, that's right. Um, so some of the, so let's see, what are some of the factors that he gives? So um, he looks, go ahead. So he goes through for that driver reaction time. He says things like sensation, perception and recognition, situational awareness, situational awareness, response, selection, and programming. But then for expectation of reaction time, he says you've got really three categories, which is expected, unexpected, and surprise. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, he, he boiled it down there. A lot of other people who have, you know, been studying this forever might say, oh, that's too, um, basic or something you have to go into a lot more detail on what is situational awareness mm. and how, how does someone develop that and so on mm. well that yeah i guess that's the first one of the first things that came to my mind is what is your sort of working memory like right what is your ability to to take on multiple tasks and does that fall into situational awareness so if i'm if i'm looking at my phone uh, and I'm, my working memory is just sort of focused on this, then I don't have that situ necessarily that situational awareness to direct attention to these other things. Yeah. Is that kind of where that comes in? I think it might be um, what's interesting, but also you realize, boy, if I really want to nail this, I have to spend some time studying and learning. Yep. Mm. And it isn't all, you know, really easy. The, there's just a ton of information there. Um, yep. But if you have the mindset that, hey, this is something I never thought I would learn, and I love learning new things, and mm. this is not a waste of time because it's a mm. really important problem. Mm. Yeah. I, so I'm, I'm always very motivated to do that. I was going to say I could show you, I think it's on another page here somewhere. It's in a Word document, but I'll, I'll try to get to it yep. uh, quickly. 
Yeah. And I guess while you're pulling that up, you know, what I'm, what I'm thinking of is um, when we go back to that fault tree, one of the things that I start to look at is uh, which I didn't used to do a lot of, but when I started to containerize space, I would really then start to look at what is within my span of control. Hmm. And so there's a box that sits around span of control. And then there's the, 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 the next level outside of that, which is sphere of, of influence. And so for me, I would always sort of look at what can I control? And you say, well, I can't actually control the road surface. I can't control the weather. So those are like, if you think about from a causal perspective, they'll, they'll exist as conditions that will, when added to the actions or the, the, the things that we are actually controlling and doing, they're important and they, they, they definitely sit in the equation, but again, we can't control them. So if you think about when you're starting to nail down the causal statement, you have to really focus very much on what is within my control. And then I guess that gets us to things like this as well. Can I control the fact that I pick up my device? Yes, I can, but I can't control the fact that um, the ringtone was from my mother and my mother's in a nursing home. And I know that when she calls, there's an emergency. So I can't, so there's part of that, which I say, yes, I can control this, but then can you really, because you have these other things going on in your life that say, well, I need to, if she calls, I've got to pick up the phone. So at that moment, you're like, well, I could pull over. Yeah, I can do that. But can I pull over? Cause I'm in the middle of a freeway yeah. and I, now I, now I'm looking around and already my attention is now wiped out because I'm looking around for a place to pull over. Oh shit, I got to get this call. You know, she's going into surgery. So it's like, wh- then you're like, you want to put all the onus on the individual again and say, well, it's that person's responsibility. And it's, it's their fault that they reduced that stopping distance. But then again, they didn't, they didn't call you, right? Yeah. They didn't call themselves. They, they didn't control the fact that the phone rang like so oh we'll turn your phone off and but then you get to the point where it's like you're you're trying to control so many things that aren't actually within your span of control and we want to point the blame at that person and what i often find is when you look at the span of control you realize there's a hell of a lot of stuff and you think about employees uh, at the office or at work that don't control things and yet we point to them and say you didn't hit your kpi jane yeah. yeah, but Jane didn't control the systems. Jane didn't control the traffic. Jane didn't control the le- the the fact that you didn't provide her with PPE. Jane didn't control this, but you want to blame Jane for the fact that she didn't get the job done in eight minutes. Yeah, like how dare you? How yeah. dare you, senior executive, do that to Jane? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's um, a really important point. Uh, I think. Well, you can't control. Uh, the weather and so on, or mm. some things that are, you know, obviously you, you just can't control, mm. um, is your ability to uh, take those things as one more input yes. in your calculator up here um, yep. that helps you, that you should use ideally to calculate something. Like if I got a call, from my daughter and she was sick or something, probably one of the best things I could do if I definitely am gonna talk to her is right away ease off from the car in front of me. Mm -hmm. Make sure I've got plenty of space, at least because I know the, uh, like I I can't calculate it, but I know this is is a prime reason why I might rear end the person. Yep, Um, yep. And ideally, if, if we were running on an algorithm, then the algorithm would look at who is calling. And as soon as the, you know, the, because the phone is, is um, linked into the car, it would just start slowing down or start slowing you down or increase your travel buffer immediately. Yeah. You know, but again, the, the question is who controls that? Who's responsible for that? And obviously, you know, we're, we're looking at technology to solve a conceptual object problem, but we're dealing with a physical object problem and it gets it becomes a, a real gray area but anyway yeah sorry um were you able to find that that word document and i should say too that this guy has also written about um the uh i'm trying to say uh oh 
human errors versus design errors that mm. speak kind of specifically to that is a problem the result of bad design or mm. is it due to you know like human error and are we going to assume you can't fix that mm. um you know so i i love it that he gets into all these things to at least, you know, he's not the god of, of all this, but uh, a lot of interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, the little papers he wrote, very brief, I like that it's brief. Uh, it's called Why is Safety so Hard? And so he and goes this is Mark, the, Mark Green again, yep. Yeah. Um, let's say a short one here. Individuals feel they can control the situation, making perceived probability of loss uh, lower. Mm. So they feel, let's see, safety rules are context independent. So they tax, you know, he uses some different words, tax needlessly in many situations. So there might be strong, um, if you're going through a construction zone, but you're doing it um, when there's nobody around or midnight or something yep it's clear that they're not doing it right now and you have a whole bunch of signs there say you have to be going not more than 30 miles an hour yep Um, that you're the way you look at that and you make a a calculation in your mind again versus Mm -hmm. uh, of what is that going to cost me or what tax will that put on me and whether or not i'm going to be late for where i'm going Mm. um uh, is is it really boring to me to go that fast? Um, am I really tired of my kids who are screaming because they want to be home? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, against, um, gee, someone did die in one of these situations a couple years ago, or is there any police around here and so on? Mm. So there's, there's often a calculation but there's maybe this one relates to it. They exhibit a strong optimism bias. Yes. If something bad has never happened, it probably won't happen in the future. Yep, that's right. And I've always been okay with tailgating. Yeah. Uh, I used to really, yeah. Someone I was with did that a lot, and I was so nervous the whole time. Um, and they were so confident because they had mm. never you know, had that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So anyway, there, there are just like 20 of them or so here yep. that uh, I think are really, uh, can I, slider. Okay, that's what I need. Uh, now, this is my own list mm-hmm. of, uh, it's my 20 bad assumptions that people can, that you can make about why people do something. And I won't mm-hmm. go through all these here, but over time, and I know it, they probably sound kind of cynical. Um, uh, first one, people will always act in a seemingly logical way in response to their environment. Mm. No way. Um, the, the good of the company is always the main concern of the employee. No way. Yep. Um, People always want to do the best that they can. Nope. Um, They always will follow the rules, even if they don't like them or agree with them. Hell no. Uh, You know, so it goes on and on like that. Mainly, this was a response to other people or, or actions that I saw other groups taking within a company where they're saying, here's, uh, here's our solution. This is all we're going to need to do. Mm. And um, uh, th- there was some of these things at the found- that were on the foundation of what I thought their error was. That is, mm. just because it's clear that's a smart thing to do or it's going to help them become smarter, by no means does it infer that they will do it. Yes, there are lots of other things that come into play. So don't, don't, uh, you're really missing something if you mm. make these assumptions. Mm. Uh, 
So anyway, <laughs> these yeah. are all areas that are so huge. I, I hate to venture into them, but we could, you know, talk to them about another, another day. Yeah. No, but I think this is interesting because it gets us to this point where so often when people are doing this causal analysis, you get to the behavioral side, you get to the individual side, and it's just too hard. They don't want to touch it. Everybody says that's a black box. I, I can't I don't I can't possibly imagine why someone would do such a thing, but we're gonna to have to fire them anyway. Well, but maybe you should think about why someone because the whole point is like again, do we want to build a solution in there that doesn't let that happen, or do we want to build something in there that draws out that motivation and just understands that the motivation is present and will influence and affect the outcome. Because as long as it has any sort of impact on the outcome, you must identify and acknowledge it, at least to the best of your ability. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, um, uh, yeah. So many of these things are related. It really, I guess the reason I wanted to talk about this is really in my mind, how these things really do come together as mm. key areas that are not being considered. And in my, just my experience, almost every uh, technical problem I've been drawn into in the se semiconductor industry or in aerospace, every single one of them ended up showing that people were at the heart of it. Yes. Uh, it wasn't just the technology, the, the, the subsystems or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, people were at the heart of it. And if you're not willing to go there, uh, it, that's really a pretty half-assed way to, to solve a problem. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking how, you know, we talked a while ago about why people would break a law and uh, like steal your packages from oh yeah 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 delivered by Amazon or something, and I immediately thought about like who else has really contemplated uh, why or how someone could break the law, mm -hmm. and my first thought was well, in if you watch enough law, uh, you know shows with with lawyers in it. You, you hear the words repeated that, you know, there has to be a means they, they have to ha be able to do it. There has to be motivation to want to do it. Mm -hmm. And there has to be an opportunity to do mm -hmm. it. And, and so just using that, or that's, I think, a good example of how they don't have to be considered black boxes. Mm -hmm. Lots of people have, you know, worked through these things forever. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, so I'm trying to think uh, now where this gets us, I guess the, the progress this gets us to in, in my mind, and I'm not done with this, you know, I, I haven't solved this thing. I wouldn't expect myself to solve it quickly. Um, the, let me see if I can find maybe one of my more advanced shows maybe where I'm I've gone with this. Um, yeah, I took it a little further with things like belief. If they believe that their stopping capability is really high, mm. uh, why would they believe that? So it's kind of a false belief. Mm -hmm. And why would they believe the lead car would never slow down? So, and then you could borrow from all those other people who've done that kind of research. Um, taking it another step i guess it goes all the way to my last uh slide here that is really going to be too small for anyone to see but oh wow okay you can see what i've done with each one of these if i could get it to behave um i started down here with you know collisions the gray ones are the factors that that uh I believed, you know, lead to the thing down below. So they were mm -hmm. like the causal factors. Yes. Next to each green, uh, to each gray one is a green one where mm -hmm. I say, well, what if it was just the opposite? What if, so I'm trying to set myself up to think about contradictions. Yep. So what if, uh, 
my ability to stop the car instead of being really long, what if it was really short? Mm. Instead of needing 500 feet, I only needed two feet. Mm. What's the downside of stopping in two feet? So that's yes. the, the red box there. Well, downside is you might fly through the, the windshield because yep. you're so fast. And then, but then what that takes you to, you've set up all these things are different contradictions, the, these three boxes for each one. Mm-hmm. And now you can use Triz potentially mm-hmm. to say, to look at how have other brilliant inventors or, you know, people have really solved impossible problems. How did they overcome that type of dilemma? Not that specific mm-hmm. one, but for instance, I wanted a distance to be long mm-hmm. for one reason, and I wanted it to be really short for another reason. Yes. And I have both, but without just lazily picking some number halfway in between. Yes. That's seemingly impossible, but that's where almost for me, the funnest part of this is probably definitely because now you're getting at, you know, there are potentially like 20, 30 areas Mm. where you could have a huge impact on this problem. And all of these are areas because other people have just doubted that it's even worth looking at them. Yeah, yep. And uh, so that's where, too, uh, I often go into new areas that I know nothing about, and I'm not scared anymore because I know I can get there and I can come up with solutions that, not because I'm smarter, but because I tried to Mm -hmm. use this technique, I can come up with solutions that they didn't. And if mm. I'm smart, though, I don't play it to, uh, I try to be a little more diplomatic about it. Yeah. Uh, I don't want it to be my idea. Um, but yeah, that's that's the fun part. And I guess I might say, stay tuned for as, a, as we work through this. So we went from the physical systems that dictate how long it takes to stop to realizing that even more, you have even more impact potentially by addressing things such as the human capability to perceive, react, mm-hmm. judge distances, all that. And then taking it, the final step here is why do people break these rules that we all know ought to be followed? Mm-hmm. And it turns out those have probably the biggest impact overall. Mm-hmm. So taking this one thing that that uh, seems like a no-brainer, I, I should sell tires that are more sticky or something. If I'm, I guess if I work for Goodyear, that's what I want to do. Mm. But uh, if you're really interested in solving it, there's so many opportunities if you're not afraid to keep going with it. Mm. That's what I, I just... I think, I think this is amazing. While you're talking and while I'm thinking about this, I just thought of something, you know, like, um, from a personal experience. So I used to, I used to drive trucks, you know, commercial trucks and stuff like that. So I, I pull a trailer a lot of times when I'm doing work around the house, whenever, and when I ride motorcycles, I have a really big following distance typically, um, especially with the trailer, because you cannot stop. You, you, you can't, you, the, the tr- you'll hit the brakes and the trailer and everything will just keep sliding and it'll crush you and you'll die. And, yeah. and then it got me to thinking of, again, about the point about motivation here, but What's so beautiful about this is if you just stop worrying about the braking mechanism and the surface area and the coefficient, if you stop worrying about those things and you only focus on motivation, you don't actually have to spend any money. And it's almost like if you had a specific segment, a market segment for your car, and you only sold the car to 65-year-olds, it's actually not that important for you to have the best stopping distance. And take that a step further and say, well, what if we took people and as part of driver training, they, they put a VR headset on. Okay. I immerse you into a situation where you're sitting there with the truck driver and you can see the truck driver's view and you can see the view of the individual in the car that slams on their brakes. And you can see what happens with the truck coming in, coming in, coming in and crushing this person. And you actually experience it. Got to be traumatizing. But what you'd get is hopefully a alternate 
view that would challenge that confidence, that was not confirmation, the optimism bias that would challenge that optimism bias and give you something to say, wait a minute, I could, you almost have a memory now of a time where you didn't have stopping distance. You went through a crash. There was something bad that happened and you can experiment with motorcycles and trucks and all these things. The point that I'm getting to here is because you identified in this way, the physical side of things, you don't necessarily have to solve for at all. Who cares? Yeah. If you if you look at the motivation and the fact that we're going to sell to elderly people, we're going to give them VR training and we're going to increase the stopping distance by 200%, the accidents are going to go away. Yeah. You're going to have a tremendous reduction. It's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Or if you, maybe, you know, it would be really great if you had tons of money and you could build in all those other things, but what's the likelihood of that? And it's mm-hmm. so... Um, yeah, you're walking by a lot of other great opportunities mm. uh, that and, and I know just for myself, after looking into this so much, now when I'm driving, I'm thinking about that all the time and what distance I have. Yep, yep. And, and, and I guess I'm too old, but I, I've never played a video game in my life. But I wonder if... <laughs> making even just a video game out of you're going down a road somehow. Um, no, I don't know who would ever play it, but maybe it has to be the VR thing where essentially you're given those different uh, factors that you have to yep. be aware of. And uh, how, yeah, how skilled are you going to be in avoiding traffic accidents? Yeah, exactly. And take, take it a step further. I was just thinking you could get, I mean, I don't know how safe Volvos actually are, but, you know, that's their tagline, right? And you could actually pin it back to the sale of the vehicles and you could say, listen, with every Tesla you buy, with every Ford, whatever you buy, you get four hours of safety training. And part of the safety training that comes in that is that VR experience around stopping distance and things like that. Well, what actually happens then is Ford owners have less accidents, because they have better following distance or Tesla owners have, and it actually plays back into the safety of their vehicle. And I think that's where you can actually get some money and some funding behind it because they can, as part of their, um, their desire to push the safety belief of their vehicle, start selling those packages. And it actually just reinforces the sales of the vehicles. And again, plays into that segment. If you've got a segment of people who are safety minded, um, they're much more likely to get the uptake on, the VR safety training package. Anyway, Jesus, we've given away too much IP today, Dave. We 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 can't do that. We can't give it away for free. Maybe we shouldn't publish this. We can't show <laughs> this episode. Well, I was thinking, you know, insurance companies as well. Maybe they're Absolutely. even more motivated. They don't want to pay out for these kinds of uh, accidents. Um, yeah, good point. And they yeah, good point. a while back, I don't know if it was Allstate, maybe. They, they said, if you'll plug one of these things into your thing under your dashboard, that'll keep track of how many times you really had to slam on the brakes or mm. did unreasonable acceleration, they'll review it every now and then. And if, you, if it shows that you haven't done those things, you have a lower rate. Oh, nice. Interesting. Mm. But uh, yeah. And for young kids, if, if I had another young son or daughter who's going to start driving it almost be uh mandatory (laughs) yeah that's right that's right cool well this has been great dave i think we should probably cut it here we've got a ton of content for these guys um so excellent session thanks for sharing and so you think we'll get into some uh do a deep dive on this at some point yeah yeah that'd be fun excellent cool well thanks for that okay and uh, we'll see you guys next week okay adios